We all know the thing that happens in movies, whether they're set in medieval, Victorian or modern times. A woman is going about her way when suddenly she throws up. Then she looks tensely in the camera. We and she both know she is pregnant. But that's Hollywood. How does it really go down, now and then? Was it really just vomiting once and popping out a baby nine months later? What if your body just couldn't deliver a baby? To answer those questions, I am joined by Julie Klaas and Bastian de Grote. Hi. Hi. Yes, I interviewed a PhD student at the Faculty of Arts of the KU Leuven. I'm uh, Jolien Gijbels. I'm a PhD student in history and I work on the history of gynecology. I, on the other hand, spoke with a modern midwife. Hello, everybody. My name is Lorena Martinez Quesada. I study at the University from Chile. I worked as a midwife in Santiago de Chile, in Barcelona, Spain, and now in Antwerp, Belgium. So imagine two women, Elizabeth and Emma. They are both identical to each other. They both live in Belgium, are in the upper middle class, and they are both not too tall. The only difference is, Emma is a modern woman living in the 21st century, while Elizabeth was born in the 19th. What happens if Emma and Elizabeth think they are pregnant? Well, as Elizabeth has means, she goes to a family doctor. Poor women usually went to hospitals because they were free of charge. But if someone had money, they had a doctor visiting them at home. Now, that's different, of course. Most doctors in Belgium are reimbursed by the social security system. So most people, and I included, can choose if they go to a gynecologist at home or if they rather go to a hospital. Yes, but there's a difference though. Poor women only went to the hospital to give birth. They did not really consult a doctor throughout their pregnancy. So, luckily Elizabeth did go to the doctor. Yes, and they had two tests to determine pregnancy. Uh, the first method uh, consisted of inserting a finger into the vagina and moving the finger. Uh, so by tapping the cervix with a finger, uh, the fetus could react uh, inside the womb. But such movements were not always observable in the, in the beginning of pregnancy, so in the first months. And the second method consisted of examining the belly by looking at the belly, by touching the belly and by listening. Uh, so through a stethoscope, for instance, a doctor listens uh, to the sounds uh, from the heart and the lungs of the fetus. The thing is, these methods were only really useful when a woman was already four months pregnant. So only after four months did a doctor know for sure that the woman was pregnant. Of course, she would have already stopped menstruating, but that wouldn't necessarily be a sign of pregnancy. Women back then could stop menstruating for all sorts of reasons, like malnourishment and stress. The only certainty a woman had of being pregnant was feeling the baby kicking, which only happens after the fourth month of pregnancy. Now we have an array of tests we can do on pregnant women. Blood tests to see if there are any infections, parasites or viruses, urine tests to see if there are any proteins or sugars in the urine, vaginal tests to see if there are any infections prior to the delivery. That means chlamydia and bacteria like Streptococcus and Pneumolyticoccus. So, basically a lot. Yes, and of course, thanks to pregnancy tests and ultrasounds, we now know way earlier when a woman is pregnant. So Emma would be doing these tests knowing she's pregnant. 
Okay, but Emma and Elizabeth are not too tall. Could that be a problem for delivery? What if their hips are too narrow? They would use a tool called a pelvimeter to measure Elizabeth's hips. When a woman consulted him and when he thought that uh, her pelvis was too narrow, um, then he would measure her pelvis with a, a pelvimeter. Uh, and at that point, he would conclude that it, it was very difficult or even impossible for her to deliver uh, at the end. It's a bit more complicated for Emma. If it's the first baby and the woman's kind of small, less than 1 meter 50, we'll do a pelvimetry. We measure the internal diameter of the hip. We do that by ultrasound. We only do it when she's nearing the end of her terms, as her bones can still move during her pregnancy. It's possible that the diameter enlarges. So you're saying that the bones actually move during pregnancy? Yes. Okay, um, so what are the options then? So Elizabeth's choice largely depends on the religion of her physician. There were different options. A doctor would, would uh, explain to her the possibilities or the, the possible uh, operations she could undergo. Um, but it seems that they were not always honest about um, the risks that these operations involved. And there seems to be uh, a difference between um, Catholic and uh, liberal physicians. Uh, when a woman um, consulted a liberal doctor, he would uh, suggest medical abortion and embryotomy. Um, both operations uh, killed the fetus inside the womb, but uh, embryotomy uh, meant killing the fetus uh, with destructive instruments at the end of pregnancy, so a full-term fetus. Uh, so a liberal doctor would talk about uh, medical abortion and embryotomy and present it as her best chance of survival. And he would also talk about another option, the caesarean section. Uh, yet he would always um, say that um, she would probably die when undergoing caesarean section because this operation was very mortal in this period. Um, but she was presented with a choice and probably in this case, or that is what I read in my sources, uh, women often chose medical abortion and embryotomy, so they chose to save their own lives and this implied killing the fetus. So caesarean sections were quite rare in this uh, period. When, when women went to uh, a Catholic physician, a Catholic physician would always encourage and even persuade her uh, to undergo a caesarean section because in theory this operation can save both woman and fetus. It's a lot simpler these times. Nowadays, we'll make an appointment with the anesthesiologist and then with the midwife to prepare them for the cesarean. Of course people still get abortions, but usually they don't have to get them to survive such a pregnancy. It's also important to note if there's a risk to both the mother and the baby, the mother's life has priority. But Elizabeth will know what the risks are, would she? That's uh, quite a difficult question when speaking uh, about the 19th century, because the perspective of a woman is often absent in, in the sources of an historian. What I do know 
is um, women were aware of the risks of dangerous operations such as the cesarean section. Um, I do know this because uh, doctors talked about women who did not want to undergo operations. The interesting thing is, religion still plays a role in modern midwifery. Only here, it's not the religion of the doctor, but of the patient. We have some Jehovah's Witnesses. When they're pregnant, they make sure to let us know that if there is a massive hemorrhage, that they don't want a blood transfusion. And that's difficult as a person working in healthcare services. The only thing I want is that a person leaves the hospital alive. It's very contradictory to do nothing when there's a person who will certainly die if you do nothing. Another problem are Muslims who do not want a man to help them if it's necessary. They only want to be surrounded by women. I make sure to let them know that when there's an emergency, their life depends on the gender of the person helping them. That they should better look for another hospital, because in our hospital, there are sometimes male doctors, and if their female gynecologist is on a holiday, and there's a male doctor on call, we cannot do anything else than call them. Usually we say, if you don't agree with the help we will provide you with, you have to find a hospital that can respect your wishes, so that they don't give you help you don't want. Normally, when there's a gender issue, they change their minds, but with witnesses, with transfusions, they don't change their minds. The others and then, when after nine months of pregnancy, Emma's and Elizabeth's water breaks, what do they do? Who do they call? In the 19th century, what to do again depends on the status of the woman in question. So poor women often arrived in, in public hospitals uh, when their water was already broken uh, and even when they were already in labor for several hours. Some do doctors speak about exhausted women uh, in bad condition who sometimes died uh, in this process because they were already in such a bad condition when arriving in such a hospital. Uh, more wealthy women um, who could pay for uh, a doctor and a midwife, they probably gave birth at home, uh, so uh, then a doctor and uh, a midwife uh, came. Midwives could help with normal deliveries and doctors were considered necessary when a delivery uh, was needed with instruments such as the forceps because midwives were not allowed to use anything else than their hands. And what happens when in the 21st century women's water breaks? If she's full term, which means if she has been pregnant for nine months, she has time to get to the hospital. She can first eat something, take a shower and contact her partner. So it's not urgent? No, it's not like in the movies. That seems to be a recurring theme here. Yes, Hollywood loves to exaggerate basic bodily functions. Your membranes breaking are not a big deal usually, unless the amniotic fluid is not clear. If the water has a color, dark or green, this means that the baby has defecated in the womb because of oxygen shortage. And that is serious. So it is best to go to the hospital straight away or to call an ambulance. You do not have to wait for your partner. If the membranes rupture prematurely, it does not matter what color the water has. She has to come down to the hospital immediately. So when they get to the hospital, 
So, if the color is dark green or the color of Coca-Cola, then there's a big problem and you have to take the heartbeat immediately. If the heartbeat is not that good, you have to operate immediately. If the heartbeat is okay, you can induce labor. Why do they induce labor? This is done to start contractions. In the hospital where Lorena works, they keep pregnant women with clear amniotic fluid in observation for six hours to see if labor starts spontaneously. If nothing happens after six hours, they induce labor with an IV, so contractions would start. If then still nothing happens, then a cesarean section is needed. Since Emma's hips aren't wide enough to live naturally, she'll have to get a C-section anyway. Okay, let's get back to Elizabeth in the 19th century. <coughs> what happens to her now? Seeing that Elizabeth's water is broken after nine months of pregnancy, she has not chosen a medical abortion, which takes place before the baby has come full term. At this point, she has two options. Embryotomy, which can possibly save her life, and caesarean section, during which she will most likely die. But there is a possibility that this procedure might save her baby. So she has to take the difficult decision if she chooses her own life over that of her unborn child or not. If she chose an embryotomy, this means that she will have to push until the baby is suffocated due to her narrow hips. When doctors are sure that the fetus is dead, they would crush it and extract different pieces. During their careers, physicians had developed their own instruments to, among other things, pierce, chatter, chatter or detach the child's head from the rest of the body. However, one could never be 100% certain that the fetus was dead and it was also possible that Elizabeth would not survive the embryotomy. Um, at this stage, however, the woman um, who had been in labor for hours, sometimes for days, uh, was exhausted and um, probably she did not survive uh, an embryotomy on a dead child. So she had to be in labor until the baby had passed to be able to have the embryotomy? Exactly. That's horrible. And if she opted to save the life of her unborn child and undergo caesarean section, what happened to her then? If she opted for a caesarean section, the doctor would cut, op cut open her belly and try to remove the child. It's not like today a very small, um, it was quite a, a big incision. Uh, so they first made, uh, they cut into the, the belly and then they cut into the uterus. Uh, but until the end of the 19th century, uh, they did not um, close the uterus as they did with the belly. Uh, so that means that women often died because of bleeding of um, internal ble uh, bleeding. Were the chances of survival slim? Yes, a lot of women died as a result of internal bleeding and or infection. The reason for this was for a big part bad hy hygiene. And another uh, bad condition uh, that caused death of, uh, of women um, during and after cesarean sections was uh, the bad hygienic uh, conditions. Um, doctors did not use antiseptics, uh, they did not wash their hands, um, uh, they did not uh, know until the end of the 19th century uh, that it was, this was one of the main uh, causes of death of, of women. And to top all of that horribleness off, remember that anesthesia was also not a thing until the 1840s. It means that women felt everything of, of such an operation. And even after the introduction of anesthesia, it um, took a while before this procedure was 
accepted by, by the medical world. So even then, operations were uh, performed uh, without anesthesia. Luckily, the safety of cesarean sections has increased immensely since the 19th century. How will Emma's cesarean section go? Because a gynecologist knows that Emma's pelvis is too narrow to deliver naturally, a cesarean section was planned and she's prepared very carefully. The anesthesiologist will be called to give her an epidural or a general anesthetic. A pediatrician, a doctor specialized in babies and small children, will also be called so that they can be present in the operation room. Then they begin cutting very meticulously. Normally, they do the skin first, then the subcutaneous, the fat, the membranes around the peritoneum, then bit by bit the muscles of the uterus, and then the membranes. These are broken, they take out the fluid, and then the baby comes out. In case of emergency, they go BAM! The one cut! From skin to uterus at once. It has to be quick, otherwise the baby dies. Medicine has come a long way since Elizabeth. The craziest stuff can happen now, and everyone can come out of it unscathed. Like what? There's a time they lost the baby, for instance. Like, the baby passed away? No, they literally lost the baby. When a woman has had a caesarean section, her scar in the uterus can rupture. When there is a scar and we see that the blood cannot come from any other place, we call the doctor. That doctor will usually say, yes, yes, we are going to operate that. In this particular case, we saw that the uterus is really ruptured. The doctor located a uterus and saw a scar in a weird place on the uterus. And then the baby is no longer in the womb, but behind it, in between the intestines. Luckily, the umbilical cord was still a tiny bit connected to the placenta, but was still working a little. The baby still had a heartbeat and was able to recover. We were able to reanimate it. She did not die. This is very rare, normally the baby would not have survived. She has gone out of the uterus between the fourth floor and the operation room. The doctor yelled the famous words. Where is the baby? What is the baby? The baby drifted out of the uterus into the intestines and lived to tell the tale. If this had happened in the 19th century, mother and child would definitely not have survived. Of course, the delivery always comes with risk. A baby is still very fragile. What happens when, despite efforts of saving the baby, it still dies? In the 19th century, this depended on whether the mother had given birth at home or at the hospital. Poor women who gave birth in hospitals had two options. There were two options. If doctors found the fetuses interesting um, to investigate, if they were deformed, if they were not sure why fetuses had died, then uh, they wanted to investigate them, dissect them, um, and they uh, remained in the possession of doctors. If they, were, if they were not scientifically interesting, then they were buried together um, with the mother of, uh, of the fetus in the same coffin, because I think stillborn children had not the same status as, as born children. They were not, legally speaking, uh, a legal separate person, uh, which is why I guess they were buried uh, together. As a woman of means, Elizabeth would have her miscarriage at home. The course of the events was not less tragic. The baby's corpse often was dumped somewhere without a proper goodbye. If 
on the other hand, uh, non-viable and aborted fetus and miscarriage uh, happened at home. In these cases, um, fetuses were often thrown away. They ended up in gardens. Sometimes um, they were buried on the cemetery, but not legally, or they were put uh, somewhere, thrown into the river. There are a lot of these types of stories in the eyes in, of, of the parents. They had not the same status as children, the children that had survived birth and that um, died shortly after birth, for instance. And especially when a, a woman herself had aborted her child, then she would want to get rid of, of the baby or, or of, the, of the miscarriage uh, remains. And she would want to hide this crime because it was considered a crime in Belgium to procure uh, illegal abortions. Today, it all happens less gruesome. When delivering a stillborn, everything is very well taken care of. When delivering a stillborn baby, we will first explain what will happen that day very clearly. We explain that the delivery will be as short and painless as possible, and that she can have an epidural if she wishes to. She's always asked if she wants to see the baby. The baby will stay in the wards, so if she ever changes her mind, she only has to ask. In the unlikely case that Emma's baby was stillborn, she has several options. If the baby dies before 28 weeks, the law unfortunately doesn't recognize it as an individual, so it can't be buried in a regular cemetery. But there are charities who take care of such cases. A lot of Islam families send the baby to a specific burial plot in Antwerp called the Angel's Path. There they bury babies that cannot be registered because they haven't reached 26 weeks. In theory they don't have to be buried, but the family does want to have a place for them. So they can bury it over there for free. They can also have their baby made into a jewel. They first cremate the baby and with the ashes they make a gemstone, which they turn into a little jewel. Whenever a baby dies nowadays, it is a shock even for the hospital itself. It's horrible. Whenever a baby dies, you enter the ward and there's a different atmosphere. Without having to ask, by the way the furniture is arranged, by the way your colleagues look in the hallway, you know there is a moss, a deceased in the ward. It's really weird, no one has to ask. Then you take a look at the blackboard and you see the little card with a forget-me-not and the patient's name, which indicates that morse. We also put that flower on the mother's door, so that no one congratulates her, the people bringing around food or the cleaning lady. We also contact reception so that her visitors know as well. In fact, Lorena's hospital takes a lot of care of the parents and siblings of stillborns. We give her a box with reading material about saying goodbye, poems, and there's a very interesting book called The Angel's Book. There we ask other parents who have lost a baby or fetus. There are babies of 12 weeks, 20 weeks, 25, 30, 40 weeks, and they write their feelings down. Brothers and sisters can also write or draw something 
The book's incredibly useful. There are people who are incredibly sad and then they see that there are others who find themselves in the same situation and that it unfortunately does happen to other people that there are others. And not only the hospital takes care of the parents of stillborns, Emma can also turn to a service called In the Clouds. They provide the parents with several mementos, like hand and footprints, a photo book, a wristband. They also make blankets and woolen hats in pairs, one for the baby and one for the parents to take home with them. For the siblings, they also have a teddy bear with a message and some stars they can hang in their rooms. And finally, the hospital lets the mother spend the final night with her baby in her arms. Yes, in that case, the baby stays with her for the night, but the mother is never forced to do this. And if the mother ever changes her mind, the baby is returned to her. It's touching to see the mother being so well taken care of by the hospital staff. Of course, there isn't only a risk for the life of the baby. In several cases, the life of the mother is in danger as well. I can imagine this risk was a lot higher for women in Elizabeth's time. Yes, indeed, the risk was a lot higher. In several cases, when the mother died during labor, doctors performed a post-mortem caesarean. They found it important, if a woman had died during labor, to perform a post-mortem caesarean section in the first place to save the child. And if it was not possible to save its life, then maybe the soul could be saved. Do these post-mortem caesareans still take place? No, they don't. I have never seen anything like a post-mortem caesarean. Not in Belgium, nor in Spain or in Chile. I have read about it in books, but luckily I have never seen them in real life. Do women today still die during childbirth? Luckily, thanks to modern medicine, it rarely happens anymore. Of course, you still have some cases when the mother unfortunately dies. In our hospital it has never happened, but it has happened in one other hospital I know. If a woman dies during labor, it's due to a hemorrhage. A hemorrhage that's uncontrolled bleeding loss. That is something that can be foreseen. When a bleeding occurs, we administer blood. There is always blood available and we have intravenous access ready to administer fluid into their veins. At this moment, it isn't about how much hemoglobin or the amount of blood of the person, but rather it is about the volume, so we can always give a saline solution. When a woman already had a caesarean performed, the scar on her uterus can tear. We notice this when we see that the blood can't come from a different side and therefore it is coming from the scar. We are prepared for this situation and the doctor gets called and an operation is performed. That way we can see whether the scar has torn. In most of the cases where complications take place, we are able to save the mother. So if we compare the situations between Emma in the 21st century and Elizabeth in the 19th century one more time, how would each story end? Both women had a pelvis that was too small, but the outcome probably would be different. If a doctor would have noticed the pelvic being too small before, there are two possible situations. If the doctor was liberal, he would probably share this information and perform an abortion, or the woman would most likely try to abort the baby herself by throwing herself off the stairs, for example. A Catholic doctor would withhold this information. 
during labor, a Catholic doctor would most likely opt for a cesarean. A liberal doctor would perform an embryotomy, letting the baby choke because of the pelvis that is too narrow. And when he was sure the baby had died, he would crush the baby and remove the pieces. Either way, the chances of both Elizabeth and her baby dying were very large. Luckily, today the chances of Emma and her baby dying are a lot smaller. They have methods of knowing whether the pelvis is too small. In the case of a caesarean, the use of anesthesia and antiseptics has made the operation a lot more safe. Doctors and midwives now are also educated to act in the case of complications. They are prepared for almost every situation. If the baby did die, however, Emma would have been taken care of very kindly. So in conclusion, we can say that Elizabeth and her baby in the 19th century probably would die, whereas Emma and her baby both survive. I guess we are very lucky to live today and that deliveries today are mostly a joyous occasion instead of one of a very high risk. Say